GP Insights, a health cert podcast. Practical advice for busy GPs on how to treat with confidence and grow their practice. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us for this week's podcast. And we're going to be talking about filler fatigue. We've got the fabulous Kelly Beasy from KB Aesthetics joining us. And Kelly's a nurse practitioner and cosmetic medicine trainer with 20 years of experience in nursing and 10 years in experience in the aesthetic industry and training. Um, and this is a podcast, which is the first part of a two-part series on filler fatigue. So we're going to focus on the causes and consequences of overfilling facial features with dermal fillers. So Kelly, welcome today. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So, I mean, just before we get into it, just maybe just a brief introduction to yourself to the audience who may not have met you before. Yeah. So I started in this industry about 20 years ago and I sort of found myself working for a plastic surgeon and really enjoyed it. And then when I came back to Australia, I decided to try and got into injecting myself. And I combined that with my emergency nursing and I did a bit of teaching in emergency nursing. And now um, I love teaching other clinicians to become really good in, in aesthetic medicine and really enjoy treating my own clients. Fabulous. So today we're going to be focusing on navigating the overfilled face. And so the effective strategies for correcting and preventing hopefully overfilling in the first place. So what I'd like to do is to just ask you around what are the primary causes for overfilling when using dermal filler in facial treatments? Yeah, I think it's multifaceted. I think there's a little bit there of, there's a little bit of body dysmorphia out there among both our clients and us clinicians. And I think there are patients out there that just want more and more and more and more. And there are some clinicians that will just continue to treat a patient based on what they want. But I also think there's a little bit of, People that don't understand the rheology of the fillers that are possibly using the wrong fillers with the wrong intent in the wrong area. And then there would be a very small amount of people that are treating patients for the sake of financial gain. So I think, yeah, very multifaceted problem out there. And so how can doctors recognise the signs of overfilling uh, in their patients' facial features? I think... It's really about having a good aesthetic eye when that patient comes in and they just look a little full, but really it's when they animate, when they talk, smile, make facial expressions, and they just don't quite look normal anymore. That fullness under the eyes, the very large cheeks and the lips for some people it can become quite almost like a caricature of their old self. So I think it's a very visual thing. Um, but it can be quite subtle and some of it is in the patient language and what the patient is asking for and their obsession with how they look as well. And just on that though, then how do you manage, you know, let's say a patient that does, let's say wants to be overfilled in some respects. I mean, uh, you know, as, as a clinician and managing those sorts of patients, I mean, is it, you know, something you try and obviously help correct for them to understand what is obviously a more natural look, because I think we've obviously all seen plenty of people who clearly have had too much work done. But, you know, is there a percentage of the population that actually that's what they're after as such from your experience? I think there's definitely a percentage of people out there that like a very overdone um overly enhanced look. And I think maybe it's the younger generation that like to look overly inflated in their lips they like to have a really cut jaw as they say um, I think there is a small percentage of people that really like that look that you can tell that they've had fillers 
But then there's a very small percentage of people that genuinely have a psychological illness called body dysmorphia where they are obsessed with something to do with their appearance and they think that getting treatments will help them. So I think, um, yeah, there's probably a small proportion of both of those types of people out there. And I also think that there are clinicians that have a very skewed look on what looks good. Then maybe their aesthetic eye is a little bit different to the normal um, natural result. And how would you manage a situation where you've got a patient that, you know, obviously does, uh, well, I mean, you know, if, let's say, let's call it a difficult patient or a demanding patient. I mean, how have you traditionally managed something like that? And I suppose at what point do you walk away or how do you politely manage that patient in such a way they don't turn into a social media nightmare for you? Yeah, I think that's a really tricky one. It's probably all of our big concerns. For me, I have a very natural aesthetic. I tell my patients from the get-go, my aesthetic is natural results. I will not do those treatments that produce unnatural results. I don't do the huge, big um, overdone lips or the big cheeks, anything like that. So I set a standard from the very beginning in my first consultation with patients. Um, it's the same with toxins. I don't like an overly frozen look. And I very rarely will do that. So I set a really clear expectation. I say to my patients, if that's what you're after, then I'm actually not the injector for, for you and you may be better going somewhere else. Also now the APRA guidelines have changed recently to include a psychological assessment of patients, which will probably help us as clinicians to redirect those patients and maybe identify if they have a psychological issue there around their appearance and send them for somewhere for um, to get help for that issue. No problem. So let's get back on the clinical path and just understand about what's the most effective corrective techniques you can use when you, you know, you have obviously overfilled a facial feature. Yeah, I think the only thing really is to dissolve that filler. So there is a drug called hyaluronidase. In Australia, it is branded under Hylase. And what it does is it dissolves hyaluronic acid. So it's injected into the area where filler was placed and it will dissolve the hyaluronic acid. Um, it can happen very quickly during the treatment and it will continue to act over the, the following week um, and just get rid of the filler that was there. It will also get rid of your own natural hyaluronic acid, but that will bounce back over a period of two to four weeks. So the best way to get rid of overfilled faces is to dissolve them. Or the other option would be that you could wait until the filler naturally metabolized, which can take a long time. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not, so are there any potential long-term effects from overfilling as such, even if you've taken corrective action? Yeah, so we don't have any evidence that there is any long-term consequences of having dermal filler. I guess the long-term consequences of being overfilled is that when that filler eventually disappears or when you do dissolve it, you unveil years of ageing that you haven't seen. So it would probably be more of a psychological effect. There is a few schools of thought that the skin can stretch a little bit with over-treatment and perhaps that you would have excessive laxity in certain areas or particularly around lips where you're getting overfilled lips causing migration you can end up with pockets where the subsequent filler will naturally migrate into those pockets because it has been sitting in that tissue for such a long time creating a pocket so yeah there, there's probably a couple of little complications and are there any particular patient sort of demographics that you know you need to perhaps be extra cautious on when it comes to using filler or, you know, for the potential of overfilling? 
Yeah, I would say as a generalization, what I've noticed as a trend in the industry is that younger people probably in the last five years have really discovered filler and they've really discovered these um, big lips, particularly the Russian lip technique. Um, and I've noticed that it's become a bit of a trend to have these large overfilled lips as well as um, very defined overcorrected jawlines. So I'd probably say there's a percentage of, of that younger generation that are probably a little bit at risk of being taken advantage of with the trends. However, maybe in the last year or so, it's starting to reverse towards a more natural look. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, I, I agree. So, um, and can you provide some uh, guidance around the appropriate amount and or frequency of touch-ups to avoid overfilling? Yeah, so filler, the nature of filler being hydrophilic is that it will take on a little bit of fluid and it will improve with time. So from the day that you treat the person with filler, you can expect it to get about 15 to 20% better over time in terms of the results will improve. So I personally try not to treat any more than four mils of filler in one sitting. Um, and generally I will only do one to two mils of filler and I ask the patient to go away for four to six weeks, allow the filler to integrate into the tissue to the hydrophilic effect to, to occur and then review them at that four to six week mark and then plan for the second stage or the third stage of treatment. So between two to four mils per setting and then just review them. We can always add more. We don't want to have to dissolve it and take it out if we overdo it. Yeah. Are there any sort of specific techniques or injection methods to help prevent overfilling? Yeah, one one is obviously put a small amount in, see how it goes, and then come back. But yeah, yeah. I'm just interested in any techniques specifically. Yeah, so I think understanding anatomy, um, really understanding facial aging and what happens as we age will guide how we replace the volume loss. So understanding that there are ligaments as well as fat pads and muscles and skin aging that occurs, that sometimes just putting voluminous fillers above the muscle is not the answer. So there's certain areas we talk about filling laterally first. So the, the lateral side of the face to help support those um, retaining ligaments and then treating medially last. So putting in the support structures in and around the ligaments that are there and then coming back and finessing in the subcutaneous plane to get that beautiful roundness that we might be wanting to achieve. So yeah, a real good understanding of facial aging is probably the best thing that you can do for your patient. Any sort of red flags or warning signs that doctors should be aware of during or after the injection process that might indicate overfilling? I guess it probably comes down to more that psychological awareness and having a bit of an understanding of psychological motivators around treatment. Overfilling in itself is probably a symptom of a few different things and, and whether it be from the patient perspective, whether it be from an educational perspective on how to treat faces with filler and facial anatomy or whether it be a financial gain I think understanding the motivation that the patient's wanting treatment will help you prevent overfilling and making sure that you treat all of your patients ethically and morally like we don't want to be putting filler in people that don't need it for the sake of finances so practicing in a very ethical manner is always important. And then just finally in your experience uh, what's some of the most valuable lessons you've learned about correcting or preventing overfilling? Yeah, I think our techniques have changed over the years and 
For many, many years, we used to believe that if we put filler in the cheek in particular, we would lift the nasolabial fold and we would just fill and fill and fill and fill with the aim to lift the nasolabial fold. We've gotten a lot more sophisticated over the years with our techniques. So we know that continuing to add and add and add will actually make the face look bigger and fuller. So I think keeping up to date with the latest techniques and different types of fillers on the market, the rheology of the filler that you choose to use and how to place it in what layer of tissue will be the most valuable thing that you can do. So ongoing education. You can never learn enough. Excellent. Well, Kelly, thank you very much for your time today. Appreciate it greatly. And we look forward to uh, getting everyone to join us for uh, part two of this series on filler fatigue, which will be coming up very soon. Thanks very much for your time today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe so you can get updates whenever we post more. And please share it with others. And for more info, please go to healthcert.com.